This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. All right. Luke chapter 6. Let me get my Bible open. So chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have only your happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek... Offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand for the Word. You may be seated. I pray that what God has put on my heart today blesses you and opens your mind and opens uh, your perspective, right, a little bit, that it helps you. Let's just jump right in to what Jesus said and to the things that I have struggled with that I hope will help you today. This is it, verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. What I felt to share with you today is how in God's name to do this because it's so difficult to do. I think Jesus knows how difficult it is. I put it in yellow because Jesus says probably before you could ever even love someone who's hurt you, you have to be willing to listen. Because when you've been hurt, it's hard to listen. When somebody's talked about you, gossiped about you, it's hard to listen. It's hard to really gain perspective. Habits creep in. Old ways creep in. And so... If not careful, it just becomes a sermon where I shout and spit and say, love your enemies, and we clout and go, good message, preacher, and walk out the door. But it's really not what Jesus was wanting because the moment he says you have to be willing to listen, he assumes a couple of things. First, we're all humans. 
And I would love to say that in his godness that he would just say, hey, I'm God, don't worry, nobody will ever hurt you because if anybody does, I'm going to nuke them. And I would go, thank you for being a nuking God. So just wish you would nuke my enemies. But when he says you have to be willing to listen, it tells me that his death on the cross doesn't stop the potential of people hurting you. Just because he died for the world doesn't assume that the whole world is going to know him, follow him, and live like him. So he lets us know that there has to be a willingness for your ears to hear when you've been hurt. But when you've been hurt, we put up walls. When you've been hurt, we have excuses. When you've been hurt, I don't want to go there. I, 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 I develop weaknesses and habits and I develop a security blankets that I hold on to, whether it be food or alcohol or screaming. And I, I started pastoring over 30 years ago and... There were things that I would preach back then that, especially like this, it were just sermons. They were good scriptures. But as I grew with God, I began to have real conversations with God. Like, surely you cannot expect me to do this. So what I want to share with you today are how I came to reason that this is even possible by saying this. I'm 56, about to turn 57. And I have my own personal experiences with this. I had a woman come in years ago when I first started pastoring. And if you've gone here long enough, you've heard this. It's kind of a joke now, but it didn't feel like one then. When she walked into my office and told me I was the worst pastor she had ever had. And I'm thinking, what are you talking The worst? Like, And in my heart... I was cussing her. But I was too Christian to let those F-bombs come out of my heart across my mouth. I just was cursing her internally while I was going, Well, praise the Lord, sister. I'm so sorry you feel that way. And on the inside, I was wanting the rear naked choker and body slammer. And how do you feel like that for a pastor? Oh, I'm the worst. Well, uh, you know. So... Over my 32 years, you would be shocked if I showed you the emails I've gotten of people that have said mean things and rude things. I was told by a pastor in a town where I was pastoring, he came to me and said, I want to talk to you. And I said, yeah, what would you like to say? He said, well, this is what I want you to do. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. God doesn't want me. He said, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I will go around this whole town and I will talk to everybody I know and I will destroy you. And I'm thinking, what have I even done to you? Like, but you're going to destroy me in this town because you know so many people because I won't do what you think I need to do? So I just told him, well, brother, you'll do whatever you got to do. You want to destroy me, destroy me. I'll leave that with you and God. But that hurt. I thought we were on the same team, but obviously we weren't, at least what I thought. It hurt when... I was doing my best to pastor, but somebody got mad at me, so they went around town and told people that I was gay, that I was sleeping with this person, that I was having sex with these women. And I'm like, what in God's name? If you're going to say something, just make it true. I'm pudgy. I'm a powder. I eat way too much Mexican food. Um, occasionally, I might drink a beer if nobody's looking. I, mean, I, I, smoke, I smoke pot one time. I mean, just say good stuff. 
I mean, if you're going to talk about me, say real stuff. At least then I'll go, yeah, that's me. But, you know, when you're running around town going, I'm gay, and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, I don't think I am. I don't know. I, oh, God, am I? And I don't know it. Oh, gee, that's before I could transgender. Oh, God, you know. But it hurts when you're trying to love people, but somebody gets mad at you and says things that hurt. If you've been married at any length of time, I'm sure your spouse has said something that hurt you. And even though we get over it, it's still a wound. It's a scar. The words come back to haunt us. So I have that love your enemies where I myself in trying to live it where my wife was hit by a drunk driver and killed and I myself have to live that how do I do good to that guy? Then I have the pastoral experience of 32 years of people coming into my office to talk to me. To the young 17-year-old that says, my uncle has molested me. Oh, now honey, just love him. The Bible says you got to love him. To the woman that comes in and says, for 17 years my husband has punched holes in the walls and cussed me, called me a whore, called me a slut, called me the B-word. Screams and hollers and drops F-bombs. Threatens to kill me if I leave him. And oh, don't worry, honey. The Bible says, bless him. Oh, he curses you. Just bless him. You see, it's easy if I don't learn. Because in my early years, that's why I'm ashamed in a bad way. I mean, you do what you can do when you're living life. I did the best I could do in those moments to... Point people to scriptures. Well, just love them. If they hurt you, just pray for them. If they just just do that. Okay, he molested you. Just forgive him. Okay, your daddy left your mama. Okay, all right. Okay, you were raped by your boyfriend, but you gotta forgive him because the Bible says. But what I in those years I didn't know that before I needed to shoot scriptures at people, I needed to learn to listen. Because people are hurting, and when we just throw scriptures at them, but we don't really hear the pain. We just want to fix them by throwing a scripture. So you can imagine when I tell the lady, 17 years you've been married to this guy? We were down in, you know, pastoring in Sylvania then. You've been married that long? I would counsel them and bring them in and talk to them and give him scripture and give her scripture and meet with them together and help them and give them books and, you know, everything. And then she would call. He punched holes. He left me again. He's cussed me out. He took all the money. But you got to love him. And it became hard. So I've got my personal experiences of hurt. I've got years of helping people who've been hurt. And then I got the Bible. And when I bring the Bible into it, it just doesn't feel logical to love somebody that's hurt me, to pray for somebody that's damaged me so bad emotionally. To I just can't do it. And so I've wrestled with this for years, literally. Like, I don't get it. I wish I did. And... So as I was thinking about it, here, can, here comes two thoughts of the day, and I'll tell you where I landed the plane this morning. The first thought is what you think about Jesus, this is what we say every week, who He is and what He says matters greatly. And if you believe in Him, regardless of how hurt you've been, 
He still expects you to love your enemies. Like he doesn't say, yeah, I really wasn't talking about you. I'm sorry, Greg. It's not you. It's everybody else in the room but you, Larry. It's all of us. But Jesus is smart enough to know that though he expects all of us to love our enemy, he still says you have to be willing to hear what I'm trying to tell you. Because if you don't learn to listen, I guess it's why he had to shift seats. Because you get your perspectives and you can't listen when your perspective won't change. You can't listen when you're so damaged you're not willing to listen. You can't listen to the preacher when the other preacher did you so wrong that I can't listen. I don't trust preachers now because my last preacher. So we, we, we quit listening. And we don't listen to what God's trying to do. And so this brought this thought. I wrote, this was my own thought, the next one. Uh, and I wrote this last night, so it's not like I, I'm still working it out. I sat at my computer yesterday and I wrote this because I really thought, how does Jesus expect this of me? To love, do good, bless, and pray for somebody who's hurt me, crushed me, and hated me. And then I, I stopped with hated me and I put a period and I... I let the computer sit for a couple of hours and went about my day and I came back to my computer and I put the little asterisk and I said, and I put seems impossible because that's the duality of my battle. My personal experiences with people that I know and their hurts and but then love them. So I put, it's not impossible, it just seems impossible. Because that's my battle. My battle is following Jesus, I know he expects it, but hyphen, it just feels, it seems, it's helped me. So I've prayed this for years, and what I've landed on today, I desire to share with you. Because where I've landed, I think there's a question. Let me give you the question, and I'll show it to you. As I begin, yeah, how can I truly act like a child of God? when it comes to dealing with others who've hurt me. Now let's back up to that, those scriptures before that. When I was wrestling with this, I, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't the reason I couldn't validate this to be real for me, only words of Jesus but not my reality, is because I was trying to reason it within my hurt and understanding. And so I constantly battled, but when I felt in my heart, well, rather than trying to reason the truth of it from my hurts and experiences, and this is where I came to this thought today, let me reason the truth from the person who said it versus from the person who's having to live it. So rather than me trying to tell you how to love your enemies because I've been through all this hell, let me teach you how I went through it, I decided to go back to the person that demanded it of me. So the person that demands I love my enemies, if I can know him and how he did it, rather than me trying to figure it out, I'll just imitate him. Because I, I don't perceive that he would tell me to do something that he himself could not do. So when he tells me to love my enemies, it's not because he thinks I'm going to fail. It's because he's going to show me the way to do it and teach me how to do it. And if I imitate him, I may overcome so we're going to take my experiences as a human, uh, my experiences as a shepherd of a house, and my experiences as scripture and try to reason out to where all of us in the room could obey love your enemies. 
Because what we know is we all have stories of how hurt we've been. Wives, husbands, friends, bosses, exes. So I went back to this scripture that Robin read, and I'll pull it out and give you the thought. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit? Even sinners love those that love them. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money to only those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners. Next slide. Love your enemies. In other words, uh, this is how I, I reason it. In other words, I'm not changing what I said seven verses before. Just because you've had an issue and just because you've been hurt and just because you got your panties in a wad and somebody really did you dirty... I can't change the truth of, and an explanation point in this passage, love your enemies. Do good to them. And my brain is still going, yeah, but, yeah, but. And then I put this in P. Truly, you need to act like children of the Most High. So go back one slide. I'll show you something. I put it in pink too. Even sinners, even sinners, even sinners. Next slide. Act like children of God. Maybe what Jesus knew is that when it comes to our enemy, the battle is going to be on whose kid do you act like when you're facing an enemy? Do you act like the devil's kid or do you act like God's kid? Because there is no middle ground. And if you're F-bombing and slamming doors and calling her a whore and a slut and I should have never married you and you remind me and I... Or, oh yeah, oh yeah, it just, just, just sinned. Oh yeah, oh, oh God, poop emoji, pooch emoji, poop emoji, poop emoji, times poop emoji, and a demon to go with it. <laughs> There's something about it that feels good. There's something about it to get in a little tit for tat. There's something about it that, that even though I'm a Christian, I love responding to my enemies like a child of the devil. They cuss me, I'll cuss them. They gossip, I'll gossip. Oh, you want to you get in a fight with me? You want to know how bad this will go? Oh, just try me. Just try me. Oh, you don't like the way I talk to you? Why don't you just leave then? Why don't you go? And good luck when you go because I own the house, I own the car, and I own the money. Oh, you want to talk to me like that? Good luck getting in here because this is off limits, baby. You ain't going to talk to me that way. Tip for tat. Let's don't even act like it's not a joke. It's the way we respond. We, we, we're Christianese on Sunday, but we live with our enemies like we're children of the devil. And Jesus is like, never going to happen. Sinner, 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 child of God. Pick which way you want to respond to your enemies. Myself, if included, there have been times I acted like a sinner when I should have acted like a child of God. But I was too hurt. I was too mad. I was too immature. I was pouty. And the weird thing about the room, if you hang out with me, you would probably never even know I have a problem. Because I'm great at holding it all in. I'm killing you on the inside. But on the outside, I'm buying donuts. Now, if I bring you donuts, don't think, oh, God, he's going to kill me. Some of you may be like, is that why he brought me a donut? Oh, God. I mean, you, the, the, the object lesson was we can fake it. And I don't want to fake it. So what I did is I went to the life of Jesus and how he dealt with his enemies. And I decided to imitate him. Now what I'm going to share with you 
may be different than you've ever heard, but I just ask you to shift your perspective on how you can love an enemy. Now, I don't have time today to define enemies. I will just say it's anyone in your life that is antithetical to what God teaches and wants. So that could be a husband, a friend, a true enemy, an ex. They're just antithetical to anything God wants. They even may be saved, but they don't really care what God says because I'm hurt and you're going to pay a big price. That's antithetical to what God wants. So let's jump in and look at the first one. Here's the thought. How do we act like a child of God? So I went through all the enemies of Jesus. I mean, we'd be here forever, but I, I went through four. Four enemies that were classic enemies of Jesus and how he dealt with them to see if we could mimic him. Here's the first one. Herod attempts to kill baby Jesus. So Jesus is two years in the world before people are trying to kill him. you got to love this kid, right? Well, let's kill him. So let's jump in and see how Jesus handled it. After the wise men, most of us know this Christmas story, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother and stay there until I tell you to return. Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Okay. Hold on, God. Now, God. <laughs> this is your kid. I birthed this with no help from a man. Remember the convo? And you want me and my husband to leave our job, our home, our family, everything we know to be true... Because some idiot is trying to kill your kid? Why don't you kill him? Because most people want God to deal with their enemy and not them. I want God to screw them up, not make me have to change. I want God to kill Herod, not make me travel to Egypt. Which tells me that many times God is not necessarily just going to zap your enemy. Because that enemy is there because God is trying to shift you and move you and change you. But most people don't want to deal with this truth because he gets on a donkey in the night and picks the two-year-old up and the mom up. They leave their home. They leave their relatives. They leave their friends. They leave everything that's comfortable and secure. And they go to Egypt because... A mean man is trying to kill them. So here's point one of how to love an enemy. It doesn't feel like love. Cutting your enemy completely off and removing yourself from the threat is not evil. Sometimes there's nothing you can do but walk away. And that doesn't feel spiritual to Christians. To the woman who was being abused by her husband, it felt like a failure. Walk away from the abuse. Well, honey, I'm not saying divorce, but 17 years of you getting cussed out and manipulated and lied to and holes punched, throwing frying pans at your head, telling the children how wicked of a woman you are, pitting you two against each other. But, but, but Mark, I, 
I just feel like if I leave, there's going to be nobody to care for him and nobody to watch over for him. And what would happen? I'm in the only spiritual one in the home. And I know if I just stay in it, I can save him. Now, that's not up to me. That's not my life. But I do want you to know that there are times in life where walking away is not ungodly. And I, I don't mean run down and get a divorce because you've been trying for a week. I mean that teaching yourself mentally that it's not ungodly to walk away and to cut that thing off that's destroying your life. And yet that's hard. I even put it in pink because it sounds dirty. Relationship with that kind of person is just not possible. They don't want to change. They want to keep manipulating. They love the control. They love irritating you. They love just stirring. They love pushing your buttons. And again, I'm not talking about you walked away in a week. I'm talking about years of just trying to change something that's not going to change. But it takes a mature person to go, I just got to walk. Here's why walking is sometimes the best option. Because a two-year-old baby can't defeat Herod. It would be more damaging. And sometimes in our immaturity, it's hard to fight the good fight because of our immaturity. It's just better to walk away because it's just making things worse and worse and worse. But there's something weird that it feels godly. Well, we're not going to leave and go to Egypt. We're going to stay here. And we're going to do Jericho marches around his house. We're going to call down fire and get the demons out of him. Like, I understand that, but... For this moment, the angel said, walk. So I would just encourage you, if you're in a place, it takes wisdom to know, I just need to cut that off. That ex, that person that consistently causes me anger and hurt and frustration, i got to cut it off. But that's hard for religious people because for the woman to leave, oh, you're an adulterer, oh, we put a scarlet A on you, oh, you're a failure, you're a loser. For the parent to just finally say, I've tried everything I can to restore the relationship with my kid, and yet they just walked away. What do I do? What do I? Well, sometimes that walking away is not the end of the world, and it's not a demonic thing. It's God is trying to bring a different perspective of how we're going to deal with it. The second one is this. Again, it's weird. I hope you didn't name your kid Herod, because... Another Herod, <laughs> another Herod, Antipas, shows up to kill the adult Jesus. So with the baby Jesus, the best thing to do was walk away. And I typically say sometimes with your enemies, especially when you're young in the Lord, sometimes the best thing you do is draw a line in the sand and walk. You're not mature enough to handle it. You're going to have so many wounds and scars and hurts and... But now we're not talking about a two-year-old. We're talking about, about a 30-year-old Jesus. And let's see how this guy handled it. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Oh, you're talking about deja vu? Like Herod and Herod and Herod and trying to kill me again? Get up, get out of here, go, get out of here. 
It would have been easy, which is for most of us that have been hurt, it would have been easy for Jesus to go, oh yeah, I remember the stories. Run, run for your life. Get out of here. Build up walls, security. Run, run, run. And that's what I mean by a lot of people who get hurt develop habits and all they do is run. They never can build relationships with anybody because they're too afraid they'll get hurt. So they make their second husband pay the price of the first husband because they can't really open up. They can't be vulnerable because the last time I was vulnerable, I got hurt and I'll never be hurt again. They can't really be free in a church because the last church, the pastor abused me and I'll never be abused again. I'm never going to sell my soul like that again. Oh, never. So what we do, we run, but we never go to the next level of dealing with our enemies. We just always run. We always shy away. We always wall up. We always fold our arms because by God, I'll never let anybody do that to me again. But this Jesus teaches us something. Sometimes you need to grow up and not run. So this is what Jesus said. Oh, he's going to kill me? (laughs) Oh, man, oh, man, my enemies. I remember when they were going to do that to me as a kid, and me and mom and dad ran. Uh, Go tell that fox. Paul ain't leaving town this time because I got a call and a purpose on my life, and I'm not about to let one human being Ruin the purpose of God on my life. And Jesus teaches us that sometimes your purpose cannot be distracted by the pain other people cause you. Sometimes you don't need to run. Sometimes you need to stand your ground. Sometimes you need to speak truth. You will never talk that way to me again. You will never call me a slut. You will never, if, you will never hit uh, another hole in the wall. If you do, the line is in the sand. I'm just letting you know, I, I, I love you, honey. I love you with all my heart, but you're a narcissist. You're a classic textbook narcissist. If you don't get your way, it's the highway. You pout. You take your money. You shut down sexually. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth, and the truth hurts. And that feels dirty as a Christian to tell somebody the truth. Lord, just reveal it to them. Reveal to them that they are a classic narcissist and that throwing frying pans is not good. Lord, Let them know that I'm tired of being called a slut and a slave. Oh, Father, amen. Give them a dream. Lord, I've anointed their pillow with oil because I'm too afraid to say anything. Father God, touch their soul. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. But neither is it wrong to stand up and speak truth. Truth does hurt sometimes. The problem is, is Christians think speaking the truth is just mean but you don't have to speak truth in a mean way you can speak it very kind as matter of factly oh had I known this 30 years ago 30 years ago I was too immature to deal with a woman that told me I was the worst pastor she ever had I just bottled it all up I put walls up I beat myself up I could be better but I'm not I thought I was a good man but probably not I just beat myself up I became skeptical I I, I wondered did anybody like me and I spent years trying to make people happy burning myself out trying to get people to like me because she hurt me so bad when she said I wasn't a good one now I'm going overboard to be really good Oh, had I known this. Because here's this. 
You have to grow up. Sometimes you don't walk away. You stand your ground and speak truth to them. And you don't let it sidetrack you from your kingdom purpose. In other words, you speak truth like a child of God. Oh, oh, that's the way you think about me. Well, let me tell you. You're a bitch. He has sinned. Sinned. Oh, and let me tell you that kind of person. Tit for tat, as I said a moment ago. It doesn't mean you speak truth. It means you can speak truth without getting sidetracked. You can speak truth without becoming a jerk. You can speak truth without throwing things. You can speak truth without having to have a cussing war. You can speak truth without threats. Well, I'm going to leave you if you don't. You speak truth and set boundaries. Today, the way you talk to me, it stops. And if you ever talk to me that way again, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to walk off because I'm going to set a boundary of how you keep doing this to me. And I want you to know that the Bible says this is not the way you should do this. And yet so many people never set boundaries because that feels like you're a jerk. I go back to years ago when the woman told me that and it's comical now looking back. It wasn't comical at the time. It was hurtful. The young, immature Mark just listened and kept my mouth shut, but I carried around a hurt. This Mark, that's the adult Mark, that's a little more mature, should have gone like this. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm so sorry you feel that way. Because I do try. I mean, and I'm a human, and I know. I probably have done things that I could do better. I mean, I've only been pastoring two years, so I just knew it all of it. I'm trying to figure it out. However... I would like to say as well that I feel like the reason you're so angry with me is because you wanted your husband to pastor this church instead of me. And you feel like that I've destroyed that dream for you. Because that's what she later told me. You were pastoring the church and God told me it was supposed to be my husband pastoring the church. So now she's probably ticked at God, but she's taking it out on me. Because she felt like the husband should be the one that was selected. The husband should be the one that got it. But they gave it to Mark and my husband didn't get it. And so she took it out on me. But it, see, it, it feels kind of hard to share that truth with people. So it brings me to the next one. Oh gosh, more people try to kill him. So the first time they tried to kill him, he, he walked. The second time they tried to kill him, he stood his ground and said, No, just go tell that fox, I'm not getting out of town. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and I'm not going to let his threats sidetrack me into getting a war with him. I'm going to do everything God has called me to do and be the man of God God's called me to be, and it doesn't stop there. More people try to kill him. Here's what we get now. It was a festival of unleavened bread, and... The religious leading priests and teachers of law were plotting how to kill Jesus because they were afraid of people's reactions. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve. Judas walked over to greet him with a kiss, but Jesus said, Judas, are you going to betray me? We'll talk about that maybe in a future time. Pray, betray me with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what has happened, they exclaimed, Lord, let's go fight him. We got our swords. Let's get them. Let's get them back. Let's do it. 
you know, which is the typical Christian. And then a scripture. Send. Like you just acted like a child of the devil and you tagged a scripture with a picture of Jesus like that made it okay. So in the middle of a hurt, what do we do if we're not careful? If we don't walk away, if we don't stand our ground and act like a child of God and put boundaries, if we're not careful when we get hurt, we start swinging swords. We start hurting other people. We, start, we, we let our hurt start hurting other people. We get a little nervous, but Jesus in the middle of the battle... When Peter's screaming, let's just fight him. Let's go for it. Let's give it all we got. Not trying to do any healing, just stirring it up. And a lot of times when people hurt us, you don't walk away. You know you don't walk away. You get at your computer and you type their name in and you stalk them on Facebook to see what they're doing, if they're saying anything about you. To see what picture they posted. Who are they hanging out with? And then you reason, I wonder what they're saying I wonder what they're doing. Oh, God, delete them. Don't follow up. But then something is says, it says, go back and check on them. Go back and check. I can't walk away. It's too hard to walk away. So we just stay in the game and we send emails and post and text or we ignore or our mind takes the best of us. And so this is what Jesus said. No, you're not going to fight. You're not going to walk away. And you don't have to fix everybody and you don't have to start trying to speak truth. But just let me tell you in the middle of the hurt, the one thing that's important, and he reaches and touches the guy's ear and heals him. I brought this for the third way. It's a little more mature. It takes a little more discipleship. It takes a little more years of growth. But in the middle of the hurt, you can still bring healing to people. Yet it's hard when you're the one that's hurt to even think about health and healing. Some marriages are worth saving. Are you willing to go the extra mile to heal it? Some relationships are worth saving. Are you willing to go the extra mile to go get help, to go get counseling, to talk it out? Is it worth healing? Is it worth going the extra mile to not just sit there and look at the blood and go, this is terrible, and just keep swinging swords? But would you be mature enough to go, you know what? Our marriage has suffered a great deal, and, and man, we're struggling but rather than just constantly ripping each other's ears off and slinging swords and blaming each other, don't you think we're worth going to get healed? Don't you think it's worth trying to go and, and, re, and, and get somebody to help us? And that's difficult to do. Because what we know at the very bottom is sometimes the hurt poisons us and we forget the potential. We're so hurt that it's not worth healing. But I will tell you there's some friendships that are worth saving. There's some marriages that are worth hanging in there. But you got to be mature enough. God, tell me what to do. Should I walk? Should I stand my ground and speak truth? Or should I keep believing for healing? Because God, if I'm not careful, I'm, I'm going to become a poison. I'm going to poison the relationship even more. I had a friend of mine years ago. We were pastoring together in the same church. And then when I you know, fell apart... We were best friends. I was the lead pastor. He was the executive pastor. And when my life fell apart, and I just, I needed help, right? Like, I just got to go get help. I was at rock bottom. I won't go into the story. but He came to me and he said, Mark, I need the keys to the church. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I need you to give me your keys. I said, David, like, man, I, I, I've been pastoring here for you. My dad started the church. What are you talking about? Give me the keys to the church. 
And oh, by the way, I don't want you to come back. You're not welcome here anymore. Now, I don't know if you know the pain when somebody walks up to the church you're shepherding who's on staff and is one of your best friends and then tells you, you can't come back to church here. Do not come in the door. I remember distinctly holding the keys in my hand and I looked him dead in the face and I said, really? Really? I said, that's the way our friendship is going to be? And he said, yeah. And I tossed him the keys and said, fine, have at it. That's what you want, have at it. And I walked off, walked away. Because in the moment, I was too immature to have a conversation, too immature to stand my ground. I just walked away. I'm done. I'm never going to talk to him again. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he's a jerk. And I drove off. I called Robin. Can you believe he told me that I can't even come back to the very church that I was in? I can't believe it. What does he think? That I was Jesus? I'm not Jesus. I'm a human. I don't even know. In the middle of my hurt... And so I pouted for several years, walked away from it. But the, how many of you know the beauty of the Holy Spirit? Because the beauty of the Holy Spirit would not let me let it go. And he spoke to me and said, Mark, the thing that hurt you, I'm going to heal. And I drove three and a half hours down. I went to his church. We sat on the stage I repented, we struck up a friendship, we went and had coffee, God has now restored our friendship, we text each other, he preaches here, Michael leads worship down there, and God has restored a beautiful friendship. Why? Because I learned that some hurts are worth saving, but I can't become a poison. It may take a little time, it may take some seasoning, it may take some friends But you can't become so poisoned that God can't heal it. The final one is this. Even the crowds at the end of his life want to kill him. Herod wants to kill him. Herod Antipas wants to kill him. Religious people want to kill him. Now the crowds want to kill him. And this is where it really gets hurtful. Listen to the text. Pilate was arguing to release somebody, but the crowds keep shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? See, sometimes you get hurt, it's not even your fault. I found no reason to sentence him to death, so I'll just beat him, and then I'll give him to you. No, the mob shouted louder, demanding, crucify him, and their voices prevailed. Sometimes, when you walk away, they keep following you. Sometimes when you stand your ground and say, I'm putting barriers up, they start knocking the walls down. Sometimes when you say, I'm going to try to believe for healing, but they just keep the poison coming. No matter how far away you get from them, no matter how spiritual you try to be, no matter how you try to be the better of the two in the the process of the hurt, they just won't shut up. They just keep on and on and on. No matter what I do, I've stood my ground. I've quoted scriptures. What do I do? And Jesus is going to tell us what to do. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. And it told me the fourth way we can love our enemies is this. 
Sometimes no matter who hurt you, what their reasoning or length of their torment, there's no greater thing you can do than just say, Father, I forgive them. It may not change them. They may still scream and holler. They may still try to get you in a fight. They may still try to get your sword out. But you just have to go, I've done all I know to do. And so, Father, just forgive them. I'm all nothing against them. Now, those four things, walk away, is godly. Stand your ground with truth and put barriers, godly. Forgive them, godly. Don't get poisoned and try to let God bring healing. God, all of them are godly ways. So when I say now, when I read, love your enemies and do good to those who hurt you and curse you, I don't think Jesus meant on their birthday you're to send them a card to go, just don't you know I love you. I don't think it means you bake them a cake and go, look, thanks for molesting me here. I really appreciate it. God told me to do this. Maybe he will. But I think we have to change what it means to do good because walking away doesn't feel like I did good. Uh, to, to stand my ground doesn't feel like I'm blessing them. I feel like I'm staying in the fight so that our brain just gets so muddled with... So what did you think do good was? Make them a birthday cake? What did you think good was? Go pick them up and take them out on a date? So, so that we, we get all messed up to think that, no, sometimes to do good is to walk. Sometimes doing good is speaking the truth with boundaries. Sometimes doing good is just keep believing for healing. And sometimes doing good, you just got to forgive them and expect nothing else from them. Here's the conclusion. With the enemies Jesus faced, each way he responded was godly. However, we have no knowledge he fostered a relationship with any of his enemies. He never went over to Herod's and said, hey, you want to come sleep over with us? He never just walked around to the people screaming, crucify him and said, hey, why don't you come be part of my 12? What we do know he did, though, is his life and attitude were always poised for healing. So when people heard him, he didn't just shut them all off because when his right-hand guy stabbed him in the back and went against him and denied him and threw him under the bus, Peter, because Jesus was poised for healing, he was able to go to Peter to make it right. What does God want out of us today? He just wants to know if your life and attitude will always stay poised for healing, whether you walk or whether you talk. He wants to know, will you stay poised for healing? Whether you walk or whether you talk, will you act like a child of God? And I think in that, that helps me reason how Mark Evans in 2022 can practically love those who curse me and hurt me or abuse me or my enemies. How I can do what Jesus said. And here's the communion. As you come today... Ask God to give you wisdom on how to handle any encounter. A couple came up to me first service. They said, Mark, they said, everything you said is so true. They were an older couple. They said, we've walked through every one of these in our life. I remember our child when our child just walked away and we ultimately had to walk away too because it was an adult child that we were trying and trying. And so their testimony was, it worked. And God has brought healing in all of us. So as you look at that today, I've put the four up there. Walk away, speak truth, set boundaries, be a vessel of healing, and maintain an attitude of forgiveness.
I'm going to leave those up there as you take communion today. And I want you to ask yourself, is there someone in your life you're holding a grudge against, you're hurt, a, a wound, a scar? Are you trying to salvage something where you need to walk? Are you trying to salvage something where you should talk and express how you feel and speak truth? Are you holding a bitterness because you won't forget them because they hurt you so bad you can't forgive? Are you willing to always, regardless of the hurt, go, God, if you want to heal it, I'm here. 